Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. All right. <laughs> How are we doing this morning? <laughs> Amazing, huh? Oh, it's so good. Um, so today, uh, today's a special day. In, uh, in just a few minutes, famous lines of a pastor, <laughs> two hours later. <laughs> uh, but no, but uh, we'll try to keep it a little bit shorter uh, because a big part of today is we have baby dedications this morning. Um, yeah, absolutely amazing. And so in a, in a few minutes, we'll, uh, we'll bring the children in. Where's Josephine? Just so I can see. There she is. She's my cue a little bit later on. Uh, but we have, I think it's nine children are getting dedicated to the Lord this morning. That, that is incredible. And what's really cool is a lot, some of it has to do with because parents are being touched right now. They haven't dedicated their children because this is all new. And so now they're dedicating their children because the Lord is working in their life, which is just amazing. Um, but as I was, uh, I want to take a few minutes to, uh, to speak into something this morning that really is going to lead us into the dedication. And I, I don't think it's something that's um, disconnected from where we were last week. And just the things that we've been experiencing in this house, um, what, what we're talking about, what you just hear being testified, we've been praying into this. We have a house of prayer that goes on throughout the week where we're just praying and seeking the Lord. And I know what's happening in that room is spilling out here. And our heart's desire is to see, we want to see revival, right? I know that's a word that gets thrown out a lot, but I, I really believe that it's just the time that we're in with all of the crisis happening in our nation. We see scripturally, we know the glory of the Lord is coming with that. And, and when you begin to see revival, you're seeing pockets of, of the presence and the work of Jesus begin to be pronounced in a very powerful way upon communities and regions. And we're starting to see that, guys. That's why we're stopping to acknowledge this, because even though we want more, we also know that we need to celebrate the process and celebrate the small things that we see. But I just don't want something that, um, that comes and goes. I don't want to just see a move of God that, that begins to fade away. I want something sustained. In fact, I don't just want something sustained. I want something that increases. And that's actually the heart of God for, for his people, right? When we, study, when we study the heart of God for revival, I heard a pastor uh, uh, was saying this, that when we study the heart of God for revival, the issue is we normally study the history of revival rather than God's heart. So what happens is history of revival shows that God will move powerfully, but then it begins to fade away. We need to cry out again for it to happen again. But if you actually study God's heart, he's a God who moves from glory to glory, from faith to faith. It said over, the, over Jesus the Messiah that when Jesus comes in Isaiah 9, that the increase of his government will know no end, which means when Jesus comes, he'll establish his kingdom, and that will just continue to grow. And so if we want to know God's heart for revival, we've got to study his heart, which is I want something sustained and, and something that just continues to grow and grow. And that's what we want to create here, a culture where we're seeing that. And what I, what I felt like the Lord was really putting in my heart in light of the fact that we're going to dedicate nine children is that what's happening in these gatherings, what's happening in the prayer room, what's happening in, in the small groups that happen throughout the week, that's amazing. But what's taking place in our corporate gatherings has to take place in our homes, has to take place in our homes. And, and I felt the Lord really put on my heart that revival looks like family. So last week we saw people being healed and touched. This week we're dedicating nine children. And that is so central to seeing what God's doing be sustained. Because if you have a revived church and an unrevived family, it's sheer hypocrisy. 
This is what, this is what Paul said to Timothy. He says, if you cannot manage your own household, how can you manage the house of God? So if we're seeing these things move, which we're cultivating, we've got to say, Lord, but we want this to spill over into our families. We want to see the same thing that's taking place in these gatherings happening with our children and so on and so forth. And so I want to take just a few minutes and speak into revival looking like family. Just to really stir a heart for that, and then we're going to celebrate the fact that we have nine kids that are getting dedicated, and the fact that families are being deeply touched by the Lord, all right? So turn with me to uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, please. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And just take a few minutes to talk about revival looks like family. I want to really highlight the actual immediate family, but at the same time, uh, this church body is meant to operate as a family as well. And so if we're going to see something sustained, we also have to operate as a family, right? If we're not built on intimate relationship, it's activity and meetings that we need. We need relationship though, right? So look at Genesis chapter 1 verse 28. This is, in case you're unfamiliar with this, this is the, the creation account. God has just formed Adam and Eve in his image and then he says this, verse 28, and God blessed them. God blessed marriage, right? And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, have children, and fill the earth and subdue it. It's actually a military word. It means to conquer, subdue the earth. It's widely believed that outside of the Garden of Eden, it was still uncultivated, so they say, go fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so I just want you to catch this, right? God, in the beginning, God creates Adam and Eve and he gives them a commission. This is the original commission. We talk about the great commission, which is Jesus says, go into all the world and make disciples. Jesus reinstated what we lost in the garden. The original commission was, in essence, what God is saying is, Adam, Eve, I want you to extend the borders of Eden on earth. In other words, I want you to move my kingdom on earth so that the whole earth looks like this garden. This is what we're called to do today, right? And what really gripped me, though, is I know we speak a lot about that, but the, the primary unit to move the kingdom of God on earth is what? He didn't come, he didn't come to a government. He didn't even come to an institutionalized church. He came to a family. He came to a husband and a wife who would soon have children, and he says, God says, I am so serious about family. This is going to be the primary unit that's going to glorify me and make me known on the earth. Family is an incubator of God's love, and through that, family becomes the primary conduit for transformation on the earth, so that when the family moves and people see how the family operates, they get a picture of how God operates. They get a glimpse of who the Lord is, right? But what happens? What happens in the garden? <laughs> Satan comes in. And with that comes sin, right? And with that we see division take place. And I, I've, I guess it never hit me this way before, but sin is not just entering the garden. Sin first enters a home. It first comes into a family unit. And what I realize is that from the beginning, Satan has been waging war on the family unit. <laughs> from the beginning, he has been coming against what God has purposefully designed. Even to this day, we see in many ways this same reality is taking place. Why? Why? Why is that happening? Why is there such a war against the family unit? Well, I don't want to get too much into the details for time, but God, right? God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, triune God. 
It's one of those great mysteries. Three persons and one God. <laughs> I recently heard, actually, I just thought of this. I recently heard of um, an illustration that is actually pretty good, but all illustrations fall short in some way. But it said when you have a pretzel and you fold it up, right, you have three distinct holes, but it's still one pretzel, right? <laughs> God is three persons, but he's one God, right? But Father, Son, Holy Spirit, well, what does the family have? Husband, wife, child, or children. It's unbelievable. If you actually study scripture and you see how the family unit operates, it's meant to mirror the exact way that the triune God works. For one example, one example, the, uh, Jesus is said to submit to the father, right? What does it say of the wives to the husband, right? Submit. See, the world perverts those things and says, I won't play that role. That's a weaker role. Jesus, is Jesus doing, playing a weaker role? No, that's a glorious word, right? So there's so many things that go on, but the point is, is that the closer something gets to imaging God, the greater attack it comes under. And so what we're finding in our day is that family is under serious attack because in family is where the kingdom of God really begins to move. And you have all these different narratives that are being pushed today, but one of them that we're waging war on this morning is the narrative that children are an inconvenience. It's a major narrative saying children will get in the way from what you really want to do. Guys, the scripture, Psalm 127.3 says that children are a gift from God. Children are a gift from God. It's a reward from him. Children are not an inconvenience. What we're celebrating this morning is so countercultural. We're saying we love family. We celebrate it. The world is longing to see a true picture of family. And it's, the hope is meant to come from the church because so many families have been just jacked up by sin that they're looking, not in perfection, but just to see a family that's really pursuing the image that God has created and the way that God has designed it. I believe, honestly, when I read this scripture, Genesis 1, that every person in this room, the first thing God does is place, place a man and woman in family. Every person in this room has a longing for family. Every person in this room has a longing for family according to God's design. Every single one. And when we experience broken family, we may not be able to articulate it rightly, but that wounds us. That wounds us deeply. Have, have you guys ever heard of a man by the name of Sean Foyt? Do I say that right? I always say it wrong. You guys ever hear of him? Anyone? Someone? I heard a yell over there. All right. So Sean Foyt has been used in uh, incredible ways. Um, just to give you what he's doing now, he's He's been used in church life and whatnot, but when, when things really started to go down in California with restrictions, he was someone who really raised up a, a voice for the church. Uh, he said, no way, our church is going to be shut down when strip clubs and bars can remain open. And he said, no way, we can worship our God. And so he went to the streets. He started a movement called Let Us Worship. And you now have thousands gathering. Uh, he moves from city to city. And it's not in this, uh, you know, it's not in this boastful way. It's just we're going to stand firm in our faith and and. And we know that Jesus is the answer. And so we're not going to silence the one thing that everyone really needs, right? We don't need to just binge more out on alcohol. We need Jesus in this hour. And so he's been doing that. But what's so cool is that I was listening to him testify uh, a few weeks ago. And he was sharing. If you know him, he's had the uh, opportunity to sh travel all over and worship um, at some amazing events. Not just from his local church, but conferences. And he was talking about how a lot of these conferences have... Just the, the, uh, the skill of the musicians, the production that goes into it, the marketing that's behind it. He says it's all from a pure place, but it's, it's just, it's the real deal. There's so much that gets poured in resources. And he was, he was joking because he said, out of all of those videos that they've produced, there was one video 
that trumped all of them. And he said there was a video not too long ago of when he was on vacation in Minnesota. And uh, he, he went uh, by a lake. And every year, he's got four kids. Every year, his one daughter writes a song. And every year, him and his daughter will play the song and sing it. And so they're on a dock. They don't have fancy equipment. They don't have uh, uh, great singers. Just him and his daughter on a dock, uh, on a river, and on a lake. And they have just their handheld phone. He says, you know what, this year, he says, this year, honey, let's record this. Let's capture this moment. And so they record this video of him and his daughter playing, puts it on Facebook, and within three days, it had four million views, right? And he said, hey, wherever I go, you're going to come with me now. <laughs> but he said the Lord really began to speak to him, and he realized something, that all the other videos they put together, although from a pure place, he says there was still something about it that people were looking through that. They wanted to see something. And he realized that there's a longing in the human heart for family. There's something in the heart of every human that says, I want to know, is there a place where I can find a father delighting over their daughter and a daughter delighting in their father? Like, he said it's not professional, but what it did do is it radiated joy and family, and that resonated with the hearts of man because man craves to see that. And the answer for what that looks like should come from within the church. This should be the standard when people look to say, man, this is what it looks like for a father-daughter, for a mother-daughter wherever the relationship may be. And, uh, and again, I, I, think, I think what we're celebrating today is an acknowledgement of we want revival in the homes, Lord. We want you moving in these gatherings, but, Lord, we want to see our homes. We want to see homes restored. We want to see where there's brokenness. We want to see things restored, Lord. We want to see in the same way we're attentive to the word, we pour into our children that way. In the same way we give our hearts to ministry here, we, we guard and protect our marriages, Lord. God, let our families radiate this to the world. Malachi, this scripture so rocked me. The book of Malachi, it's the last book of the Old Testament. Last book of the Old Testament. There's four chapters in Malachi. Last chapter is chapter four. Last verse of Malachi is verse six. So this is the last verse of the last book of the entire Old Testament. And do you know what it is? Do you know how it all ends? Let me read it to you. Malachi 4, 6, speaking of God, says, And he will turn the hearts of fathers or parents, it speaks to really. He will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents. The very last scripture of the Old Testament is a prophetic promise for the restoration of family. God is so serious about family. It started with family and his heart is for it right now. And the Lord is raising up individuals and churches that are going to champion family. They're going to get behind it and say, man, we want God moving here, but we want to see, we want to see the presence of God exploding in households. We want to see godly marriages. We're doing that alpha course. Where's Joe? I'm not going to let him get away without this. There he is. There. We started the marriage alpha course last Saturday. Uh, yesterday, I mean. The, 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 the only part that I hate is that it's filled up. But... What an incredible time of just getting together and growing in marriages. We are serious about cultivating healthy family here. And, and look, some of you here, I grew up in an amazing home. <laughs> so I don't know what it's like to grow up in a broken home. I do. My dad's here, my, my mom, they serve the Lord. Uh, I've grew up in an amazing home. But I know that some in this place have grown up in some really broken households. I know that some have grown up with some really fractured relationships. I know that some are actually still in that. And what I mean by that is simply, it's just not actually operating how God designed it with the full unit there. But I want you to know something, that God, God 
deposits a unique grace to families that are missing a certain role in that family. And God says, where there is a lack, I will fill that role for you. He says, if you make me center of that family, where there is not a father, I will be a father. Where you need the love of a mother, I will come in that way as well. Look, look at this. Listen to me. Psalm 68, 5 and 6. This is what he says. He says, this is God's promise to us. He's so committed to family. He says, I'm a father of the fatherless. And protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. I love this. Verse 6. God sets the solitary, in other words, the lonely in a home. He brings the lonely into families. <laughs> Crystal's a counselor. She said the, the deepest, the, like the, the most uh, uh, impactful wound is the wound of abandonment. It's the wound of abandonment. God, God, Jesus on the cross said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Meaning the perfect son entered into our abandonment so that we could come in. So that we could come in, so he could bring the lonely. Listen, if you grew up in a broken household, the father's coming after you right now. He's coming after you. He wants you to know he's here. His heart leaned towards the broken and the wounded. What God is like this? In the world, the powerful separate themselves from the weak, but God says, my heart longs for them. I draw near to them. If there's a gap missing in your family, God says, I will restore. I'll be the missing gap. Listen, I'd rather God than me myself. So I see unique grace for your life to have something that, honestly, it's almost how he does it. He makes things more beautiful. It's just the way that he does it. In fact, look, he actually says this. God sets the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. In other words, in other words, prosperity means abundance. Prosperity means abundance, which means you have more than you need. Which means God takes the lonely where there's broken families, puts them in a home, and then so touches and changes them that you have actually something to give to other people now. You have joy to give to other people. You have comfort to give. You have hope to give. This is the good news of what God does. So no matter where you find your family unit today, know that God is so ready to bring healthy family into your life, especially in this church body. Look at me real quick to 1 Timothy. Please, if you don't mind, 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to grab these kids in a moment, and it's going to be a glorious time. Not yet, not yet, not yet. 1 Timothy chapter 3, I, I briefly shared this verse before, but I just want us to read it together. Timothy, Paul is giving Timothy instructions on, on what an elder or pastor should look like. It's really important. He's talking about leadership of the church. And he says this. This is Paul writing to Timothy. He, meaning the pastor, elder, must manage his household well. With all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Now listen, he's speaking, he's speaking about a leader in the church, and I understand that. But there is a principle that applies to every one of our lives. There is something that can come to our lives where God is saying, listen, it's great to desire healthy gatherings here, but we should have the same intensity in our desire to see healthy families. Paul, Paul is coming against a perverted or distorted definition of success, which is we can have thriving ministries, thriving businesses, yet we are neglecting our families. We are seeing a lot of this happen even in the, in, in the Christian world right now. 
leaders that have fallen, and it's not, to, it's not to make light of that or to say that couldn't happen to anyone, but what you see is that families became shattered because they were neglected. The pursuit of other things took place. God is really, really intentional about healthy, healthy families. And uh, honestly, I think one of, one of the major reasons why is we need healthy families because that's going to lead to healthy church because the church is meant to function as a family. So when we have healthy families at home, it's going to spill over into our corporate gatherings and actually vice versa. Do you know that the family is meant to operate like a church? <laughs> I mean, uh, the church is meant to operate like a family. The kingdom operates like a family. Jesus, when his disciples said, teach us how to pray, he brings his disciples together and he begins by saying, our father. He doesn't say my father, although he is. He says our father. In America, we're very personalized, especially in Christianity. He's my God. Now he is, and that's a beautiful thing. But the moment you come to the relationship with Jesus, he's not just your father. He's our father. I can't get to where I want to go in my walk without you. And you can't get there without me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that's the way God's designed in relationship. We need one another. There's an African proverb that says if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. We need one another. It's the way he's designed it. It's the way he's made it. And so he says, our Father, hallowed be thy name. What? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We love the kingdom coming on earth. But what it's really telling us is that our Father has a kingdom. Or the kingdom operates uh, under a father. And the moment we step out of the realm of family, we step out of the realm of the kingdom. Every time God talks about kingdom, he talks about family. The kingdom of God... It's not an institution. It's not a corporation. It is a family. And if we're going to see something sustained in this house, it's going to be through the celebration and, and operating as family. In an institution, the powerful get more powerful and the weak get weaker, but not in family. In family, everyone's honored. Everyone's celebrated. Everyone's recognized. Everyone's recognized for the call in their life, who they are and what God's doing. In family, everyone's cared for. In family, everyone's included. You do not celebrate Christmas and leave one child up in his room by himself. In family, everyone is invited to come around. At the Lord's table, there's enough room for all of us. In family, we don't cancel one another. In a cancel culture, it's really easy. You offend me, you're out of my life. That's not the way the kingdom of God works. Jesus is the only one who had every right to cancel us, and instead he came and rescued us. And in that finished work, we, we, we contend when there's friction between one another. We contend when there's, when there's issues going on in a relationship. We don't cancel the other person. There's a picture, um, uh, what was it? Oh, it was a portrait of, a, of an elderly couple, old. They were really old, to be honest. <laughs> old couple. And they were walking away from a camera with their hands held, and the caption, what they were capturing was, what's the success to this marriage? And, uh, and the couple responded, and I thought it was such an amazing response. Uh, they said that we grew up in a time where when something was broken, you didn't throw it out, you fixed it. And listen, this, is, this has got to carry over. This is how family operates. And when something's broken, we don't cancel the person. That we don't cancel that relationship. We don't cancel that church. We work through that. That's what family looks like, right? So we're celebrating, again, we're celebrating family this morning. 
We're celebrating those that have made a commitment to raise up children in the ways of the Lord. In family, we don't compete with one another. We rejoice over another one's success. The world, the world is secretly competing with one another, jealous of another man's success, but not in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom, when one person comes up and testifies, we don't say, well, I had a breakthrough too. We rejoice over what God's doing in their life. If, if, see, God wants to establish relationships that are able to hold what comes when revival comes. Because if you look at the book of Acts, it wasn't just like all, all peachy. <laughs> there was outside persecution. There was inside turmoil taking place. But there was a family that was being built there. And when things came, those relationships were strong enough to endure that. Let me give you an example real quick, and I'll share one last scripture. How many of you know the story of David and Jonathan? David and Jonathan's an amazing story. Uh, David, David, he's the one who killed Goliath, if you, don't, if you don't know it. When he was raised up, he became the king. Uh, but when he was a young boy still, or uh, probably more of a teenager, uh, Saul was the current king. And Saul's son is Jonathan. And what's amazing is that David and Jonathan entered into a covenant relationship where they, I mean, it was a unique relation. It was brotherly love here. And what hit me this week that I never really considered is that David was promised to be the next king, take Saul's spot. But Jonathan, actually, according to the culture, had the right to that throne as the son of Saul. And yet Jonathan, Jonathan, when he saw the call of God on David's life, did not get jealous, did not get bitter, did not say, actually, that's supposed to be my place. He actually championed the call in David's life. To such a degree that Jonathan said, I'll endure and embrace personal sacrifice to see you be lifted up. To a place that actually I could make a call, uh, a fight to say that should be mine. That's, 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 the, that's the bond of family. That's the way we love one another. So let me share this last thing here. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. If you could turn there, please. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 9. And we're going to... Uh, Bring in the kids. Yeah, go ahead, Joseph. You can go now. Now, I want to speak this specifically to the parents um, that are going to be dedicating today, but this applies to each and every one of us here. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. This is known as the Shema in, in the Hebrew faith. It is the central prayer of of, of, the, of the Hebrew faith. It is the core of what they do. And I want you to hear what it says. Deuteronomy 6, starting in verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Does that sound familiar? Jesus actually said this is the first and greatest commandment. What's interesting is that covenants change which means the processes and the methods of which we relate to God have changed. We don't need animal sacrifices anymore because of Jesus. We don't go through a priest anymore because he's the great high priest. The, the processes have changed, but the principle never changes. It has always, from the beginning, been about loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus says, if you want to be great, this is what you do. You learn to love God. And what Moses does is right after he shares this, Moses gives us four keys to cultivating love for God in the family. In essence, revival in the homes. And so for every parent here, or I'm sure in some way it applies to every single person, I want you to just share really quickly what Moses says to do 
in our homes when it comes to teaching our children how to love God. And in verse 6, Moses says this, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. The first thing Moses does is before he addresses the children and how the parents in, uh, impact the children, he first says, these words of loving the Lord your God first have to be in your heart. He says, before you can teach your children how to love the Lord your God, you first have to have this mark in your life. If you want authority when you speak, they need to see you loving God before you can actually begin to tell them to love God. It's not about perfect performance, but it is about a, 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 a holy desire to see this happen. Come on, bring all the kids in. It's going to be beautiful. Look at all these amazing kids. Not all these kids are being baptized, I mean, uh, dedicated. So don't get nervous. You're like, what, there's like 100 kids coming in right now. They're all going to come in and partake in this. This is family. Come on in. Parents, to see it? Yeah, we'll give them a second. Here we go. Here's, here's some of those. Look at these beautiful kids. There's my daughter right there. Big, big. Not yet. So we're going to bring them up in just a moment. So he says, love the Lord your God first. Verse 7, the last minute right here, guys. He says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. The second thing Moses tells us to do is to actually take time to teach the scriptures to your children. I want to encourage you, parents here, that it's actually first and foremost not the role of the pastor or the role of a priest or the role of a Sunday school teacher to raise up our children in the ways of the Lord. It's first the parents. It says, parents, you teach, you teach your children the scriptures. You take time to sit down with them and open up the word of God to them. The primary educational unit in the Bible, and I believe still to this day, is the family unit. Especially today. There's so many things being taught in the school. We need families that are teaching our children the scriptures. And then he says, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. So not only do we need times to teach our children the scriptures, but as we just go through daily life, we need to be asking the Lord, how does this, how does this reveal to yourself to these children, Lord? At all moments, when you drive to school, when you're in the grocery store, asking God, how can I teach my child about who you are in this moment? God is always looking to reveal himself right now. And then the last thing is this, guys. Verse 8 says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That's all right. I know there's a lot of kids coming in. We're just teaching in the midst of it. I just picture this is what Jesus was doing, right? He's just teaching. Kids were coming in. It's like, bring them in. The last sign that Moses says is he says, take this law, the love for God, and bind it on your, on your hand, on your forehead, right all over your house. Now, the Jews literally did this. They actually wrote the Shema on their hand. They put it on their forehead. They wrote it all over their house, and that's a beautiful thing. I think there is some value to that. But the bigger picture is that this is not so much to be literal, but it's meant to mean that whatever you put your hand to, whatever your works are, let them testify to your children that you love the Lord your God. 
Bind it on your forehead, meaning let your thoughts and attitudes testify to your children that you love the Lord your God. Write it on your household, meaning what good is a sign if it's not happening in your house? Therefore, let the culture of your house declare to your children that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Are we ready to get these kids up here? <laughs> all right, let's bring these kids up. Come on. Mark, if you could uh, play that for me. And I have Don. Don's ready in a second. Come on, revival looks like family. <laughs> revival looks like family. This is a beautiful thing. We celebrate this just as much as healings, deliverances, salvation. We celebrate the gift of children. All right, isn't this, look at all these precious children here. Beautiful thing. And we have more coming. It's incredible. <laughs> more coming. All right. So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna jump right into this. Why do we do this? Well, first and foremost, anytime God gives us a beautiful gift, especially children, but whatever it is, money, houses, we first give it back to him. And so what we're really doing here is we're giving back what God has blessed us with. And we're saying, Lord, we want you, we want you to be the one who really leads us in this. There's dedication in the Old and New Testament. Hannah dedicated Samuel, and of course, baby Jesus was dedicated in the temple as well. Uh, in many ways, today is actually more about the parents than just the child. And so what we're gonna what's going to happen here is really as we dedicate this child, these parents are expressing, first and foremost, gratitude for this gift. They're expressing humility that they need God to shepherd these children's lives. And they're expressing faithfulness that they will raise up these children in the ways of the Lord. So parents, and I'm in this, because actually here's, here's my daughter right here. Uh, I'm going to say I do as well. But I want to charge the parents, and I'm going to share five statements. After each statement, you're simply going to say, I do. Okay? So here we go. Number one, parents. Do you here this day recognize your child as a gift of God and give heartfelt thanks for God's blessing? I do. Do you here this day dedicate your child to the Lord who gave him or her to you? I do. Do you here this day pledge as parents that you bring that you will bring up your child in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? I do. Do you here this day promise to give your child every possible benefit of home, of education, and of the church? I do. And lastly, do you hear this day ask God's blessing upon your child's life to guide, to guard, to direct your child through all his or her years? I do. Okay, at this point, we're going to anoint the families. So Don is actually going to help on this side. I'm going to come on the other side. Actually, is Vicky there? Vicky, can you help with this? You can start on one side and just anoint every single person. We're going to pray at the end. But right now, they're just going to come around and anoint the parents and the children. 
The oil is symbolic for the Holy Spirit. We need it doused on the parents. <laughs> we need his, his empowerment for this task. John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb, so we pray that these babies would be filled even now with the Spirit of God. Oh my goodness, Jayla. How old is Jayla? A week old. We have one baby who's a week old here. not even room. All right. I'm just going to pray for the parents, okay? If you could just pray with me. Lord, we just pray right now a special anointing upon these parents. We pray, Lord, that, that they would be fully equipped. We thank you that they are, Lord. They are fully equipped to handle this incredible privilege to raise up a child. What a gift this child is. And I just ask that just your grace would abound, abound upon these parents, Lord. God, give them wisdom as to how to teach your, your word, how to live out the gospel so that these children would grow up in a home that reflects who you are, Lord. Lord, we pray that you would fill in the gap wherever there's a gap that needs to be filled in these homes. We thank you you will do it right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. So now we're going, to, uh, we're going to officially dedicate these children. We're going to do it a little bit different. So we're going to need some participation from the parents. <laughs> so what's going to happen is I'm simply, in just a moment, going to read your child's name. And when I read your child's name, just for a moment, you don't have to go Simba-style way up, <laughs> but you're just going to just a little bit lift your child up just for a moment. And you say, why are we doing that? Well, first, when Jesus was uh, dedicated, Simeon lifted him up. But more than that, it's a symbolic and prophetic act that when, what you lift up to God, he blesses. When, when Jesus had the five loaves and two fish, he took the basket, he lifted it up, and God blessed it. So we believe that as we lift up these children, God is going to bless it. The, the, the Levites, the priests of the Old Covenant, they had what was called a wave offering. They would lift up their offering to God. Most offerings were given to God and consumed, and they wouldn't receive any. But the wave offering, you would lift it up, and then God would bless it and actually give it back to the person that was offering it up. So this is our wave offering to the Lord. All right, parents? We ready? So again, I'm simply going to, uh, to just declare in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I'm going to read your child's name and just lift them up for a moment, okay, guys? And then we'll pray at the end. Yeah, at least 30 seconds, guys, now. All right, here we go. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we dedicate Carla Thomas. Yeah. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we dedicate Avery Edwards. Kira's going to get a workout. We got another one. Here we go. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we dedicate Arlo Edwards. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we dedicate Jayla Lovell. In the name of the... F you ready? No, you got it? You want, you want to do it? No, you got it. We'll do it together. 
In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we dedicate Phoebe Havilla Miller. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we dedicate Koa Rain Rivera. Thank you, Lord. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we dedicate Malachi Noel Sullivan. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we dedicate Isaiah Jordan Sullivan. And last but certainly not least, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we dedicate Joseph Hendrickson. Praise the Lord. All right, I'm just going to share a scripture over them, and we'll close number 6, 24 to 26. Over these children, may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, God bless you guys. Oh, and the kids' church made presents for the parents. So kids' church, if you got presents, bring them on up. Here they come. And that's going to be it. God bless you guys. Thank you for coming out.